Welcome to Second Win with Joyce Buford, a program for and about women. Joyce Buford is a certified coach and motivational speaker who has a passion for helping women who need a second win. She is the author of the Amazon bestseller, Effortless Happiness, How to Find Your Voice and Finally Ask for What You Really Want. She studied directly with her mentor, Jack Canfield, and is a fully certified coach in his program. Also, she has served as an assistant in his training programs. Through her study with many prestigious coaches and mentors, she has created a powerful program that has positively impacted thousands of people. On today's program, Joyce and her guests will help you to get your second wind. Now here's your host, Joyce Buford. Welcome. We're so glad to have you here today. And we are talking about narcissists. We are talking about that person that has the super ego that is striving for everything he wants in his life, no matter he or she, pardon me, no matter who cares? Who who stands in the way? <clears throat> it's going to happen for them, he or she. So there are victims in the way. They will get the brunt of his ego. So let's share more. If you've gone through our earlier segments, and this is the fourth, you've you've gradually been brought into the world of the narcissist and the world of the empath. That would be the person that is kind and bendable and and serving and loves to give and and be gracious, where the narcissist has very conveniently found this person, has decided this person is the person ideal for building their ego, serving their ego. And this is how the relationship starts. Now, let me make note that they come in, narcissists and empaths come in he, she, male, female. They come in all different size, shapes, and colors. And, but they are partners. It's the, the combination of these two personalities that help this, this marriage or this partnership exist. It's not a happy partnership because of the tools that are used by the narcissist that will eventually serve to break down or stress or make the life of the empath absolutely crazy. She all of a sudden, he, she becomes the victim. She becomes the one that is struggling with existing. <clears throat> so Sandra uh, Beck is with me today and has shared this very important series that we've been doing so that we could give you an approach of a relationship, being in a relationship like this. So, Sandra Beck, thank you so much for hanging in there, girl. We're going to get this. Yes. We're going to get it. Sharing it, sharing it, sharing it. So you mentioned about some tools and I'd like for you to share a few of those tools with our audience because they may not be aware of some of the tricks that the narcissist has up his sleeve. Well, one of my favorite tricks that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Like that's the best thing about a lot of this stuff is you don't have to make radical changes. You just make little changes. And some of this stuff is just about awareness. And one of the things that um, my friend Linda in Washington, she, she taught me this thing about this villain victim hero thing. And 
once I saw it, and I actually taught my kids this, they started seeing it with the schoolyard bully. My friends started to see it with their bosses and coworkers and siblings. And of course, many of us see it with our spouse or partner. Mm-hmm. And the way it works, it's a storytelling tool designed to get people to give the narcissist what they want. So they tell a story and the story is the same thing. There's a villain, usually you. <laughs> yeah. Me? And there's a victim, the poor narcissist. Then there's the hero. And the hero could be their new love interest. That could be Google. Google plays the hero role a lot. And this is what it looks like. Oh, I had to get divorced. My wife left me. She was so mean to me. And she's an alcoholic, a drug addict, lesbian who ran over our cat. I was heartbroken about the cat. So <laughs> stack, you know, stack of modifiers. Not that there's anything wrong with running over a cat or being a lesbian, but anything they could do to discredit you and make you look less than in other people's eyes. So that they get all this sympathy. Oh, you poor victim, you. And then they say, oh, well, then I found the love of my life. I've never felt this way. She's terrific. She loves me. And there's the villain victim hero. And so the new narcissistic love partner stands there all puffed up. Aren't I great? Look at me. I'm the hero. And everybody feels sorry for the poor victim. And then you, the villain, who's probably sitting home folding laundry or doing the grocery shopping for his kids, are walking around having no idea this smear campaign is going on. And when I learned this, Joy, something really funny happened to me in Walmart. So I was playing on this baseball team in our town. There's a little pickup baseball team in the summer for parents and kids. Uh Uh-huh. So I turned my cart around the corner and I run into one of the ladies that was on my team. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, hi, lady on my team. How you doing? She's like, oh, you know, good. Da, 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 da. Well, her husband walks up and says, oh, hi, I don't know you. And the lady says, oh, this is. And then she says, oh, you know, the guy you play poker with. And he yeah. says, the one with the bat. Black, crazy wife who's a drug addict, who's this, oh. that one. Oh, and no. the poor woman, I swear to God, she turned beet red. And I said, hi, I'm the crazy ex-wife. And I just <laughs> smiled and shook his hand. The oh, poor no. man was apoplectic because he had believed all these stories he had heard at poker. And he knew me. You know, what was uh-huh. funny, he just hadn't made the connection till I came around and I've got my, you know, three-year-old in the cart sitting there. <laughs> so, yes. Clearly, <laughs> you know, not a, you know, not any of the, the things that the, the picture that they had tried to paint of me, but see, somebody has to be the villain because then the narcissist gets support, love, money, dinners, rides, whatever they need, because well-meaning people do feel sorry for people when they tell a sob story. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they're they're uh but it's so interesting to me that they want to be the victim when really they spend most of their life being the hero. 
Well, it's what is useful. Nobody's going to give you sympathy if you're the hero. They'll give you praise. So what does the narcissist need today? That's part of the supply they get from people because they don't Mm -hmm. get confidence from themselves and their abilities. They don't get to feel like the hero because of their good deeds. They have to manufacture these things. So when they come across a target, Joyce, Mm-hmm. The target, they, they're, you know, these, these are really savvy psychological manipulators. They look at the target and go, what can I get from this target? I can get mm-hmm. sympathy. I can get sex. I can get money. Mm-hmm. Or they can say, I can snow them into believing that I'm this big shot in my industry. And, you know, it's what, It's whatever they can get from that person. So they use different tools. So sometimes they are the victim. Sometimes they are the hero, but they're never the villain. (laughs) Yes, true. They're not. So the victim only comes out at home. Is that correct? No, the victim can come out anywhere. Oh, the victim can come out. In any situation where they feel they can manipulate people to get something from them, if they can make somebody feel sorry for them, they'll paint themselves as the victim. And a perfect example of this is in a parental alienation co-parent situation. Okay. Your mother just yelled at me all the time. Your mother lied all the time. Your mother was never home. I was so sad, kids. And then I met my new wife. And she loved me. And she took care of me. And I was finally happy. (laughs) Nice. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So this was his story to the kids. This was his justification. Wonder what happens to all the family members, the outside family members. Wouldn't we like to know those stories? Sure. Everyone was told a different story. At one point, I kid you not, I had a little journal and I would Uh write funny things that, that they would say to, you know, to common friends and to, to people we knew. Sometimes the story was like the story at, at Boy Scouts was, I was so mean to my narcissistic ex-partner that his secretary couldn't help but fall in love with him because she felt so bad for him. Oh. <laughs> what a box of rocks. Uh, I know. I know. And yet, why is it that we during have such a hard time leaving? We've, we've experienced this. Of course, you're, what you were relating to in some of your stories was the aftermath, the stories that were told after, you know, and, and they're flashbacks almost. So you get to hear the stories after the fact. They've already gone on. But when we have to make the decision that it's time for us to leave, we may be aware of some of these rather crude, rude um, hard stories going about around uh, about ourselves, and yet we find it very hard to leave. Is well, it that sure. optimist that's in us? What no. is it, Sandra? We're tired. Narcissists <laughs> are exhausting. They bleed you dry. You're emotionally, intellectually, physically, spiritually exhausted being around them, mm-hmm. and. 
they manipulate you. So if they see you're getting too low, they'll give you a little bit just to make you stay. And all the criticism that piles up over the years, you start feeling bad about yourself. You don't feel powerful like, hey, I'm going to take charge of my life, divorce, and build a new company. No. Right. You crawl yeah. out on your hands and knees going, I feel so guilty because I'm dissolving the marriage and I have children. You know, yeah. you're what gonna- am I going to do? Right, and you're going to dismantle your household, and you're going to dismantle your finances. And right. sometimes they give you all these promises as you're, you know, one foot out the door. I promise, I promise, I promise. And anybody who has kids knows that if a spouse makes a promise to them to change, they're going to most often give them the opportunity to change. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. It's that eternal hope we have inside right. of us. Right, and yeah. that's a- one day wake up and love us and be nice. So you mentioned this word, self-esteem. So where was your self-esteem when you decided to divorce? Who knows? Because I couldn't find it. Mine was in the tank. Yeah, I mean, mine had left years ago. Yeah. I had no voice. I had no sound. And so in the marriage. Now, I will say, because I had a... a um, position in a museum I was very of authority so I was very much speaking out there in public but once I walked in that door silent yep uh, we, did you experience this oh yeah I would go and run a top real estate office one of the top real estate offices in the world and we had the wonderful sales staff and I would go out with them and have a good time and then I get this awful pit in my stomach going it's time to go home Oh. And, uh, the person I was, and this, this is what caused me a lot of distress, Joyce. Mm-hmm. How could I be out in the world and be liked and, you know, kind of get presents on my birthday and yes. people saying, gee, you look like you have a headache. Can I give you an aspirin or, uh, you know, all these niceties and then come back home and just be this awful person. So, you know, I was for a while there, I couldn't reconcile the two because I wasn't an awful person at home and I wasn't an angel out in public, but the difference between the two, there was like this big chasm in the, in the middle of it going, how can I professionally do a job and have lots of friends and a good life? And then the minute the door closes on my primary residence, Mm-hmm. It's just a disaster. Like we might as well have been, you know, vacationing on the Titanic. Right. Right. Silence is pretty big there. Yep. Isn't it? <laughs> no matter how big that house is. <laughs> no, and I would make all these quote unquote mistakes. You know, nothing was ever good enough in the home, but yet I'm, I'm clearly able to clean my office at work. I'm clearly able to pay my bills at work. <laughs> like, you know, it was just, it was like Dr. Heck, Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, only it was me because it was how I, I didn't understand who, who was this person that walked in the door when I got home because it wasn't me. It was this mm-hmm. like cardboard facsimile of me that was yes, sir, no, sir, right away, sir. Yeah, right. Yeah. So was there a vine for you to stay even in the later stages or just this cold silence? No, once he had a new person in place, I was out. Right. Just, you know, dumped out like garbage. Right. Um, Yeah. 
There are other ways for them to start ruling you out of their life or eliminating you from their life, such as traveling a lot, such as hanging out with the boys a lot, such as doing all those things that would take them away from the home. So where it's not, maybe not with the woman, it's with the guys, it's with the travel, it's with whatever that, that gives them space and yet they're in control of. Yep. Work. Yep. Work's a good one. Right. Yeah. So, um, I've, I've really during those days, how can you describe your, your inner feeling? I mean, were you worried? Were you stressed? Were you scared? Were you, uh, you've talked about the silence. So you were kind of empty, I would imagine. Empty, no no expression, no, uh, excitement, uh, no emotional out showing and emotional expression. So do you remember? Yeah. I I started out confused, you know, like for years, I was confused. (laughs) Like what the heck is going on here? Like, what did I do? Like, Oh, what? Like, I was really confused. And then, then I started to get like sad and lonely and I didn't really go through an anger stage until much after. Maybe I got my emotions in the wrong order, but so I would say I started out confused. Then I got sad and lonely and frustrated, exhausted, depressed, depressed, exhausted, depressed. And then I just kind of gave up and then I got numb. And as I numbed out, you know, it numbed everything out, the joy of my kids, the joy of my family and friends. And, you know, because you can't just numb out the negative emotions. And I didn't use drugs or alcohol or sex or things to numb those things out. I just shut off, you know, like you turned off a faucet. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand the the anger. You don't feel the anger because you don't even feel Right. Until you leave. And it's when that, when you've had, you're down the road two or three, four months, and then's when that anger starts coming back in. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden your body starts waking journal. up. You know, those yeah. journals that I burned, I wrote, I wrote all my angry feelings out and then I punched them out in Krav Maga. Um, and I walked a lot to, to like my trail of tears, I call it at the park. And, um, all that emotion, eventually, the stuff that you stuffed down for so long and the things you didn't feel, you're going to have to feel them eventually. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> There's another thing you're going to have to feel, and, and we didn't really include it in this series, but I'm just going to bring it up kind of sh- here because I think it's something we have to do. Um, and we... It's kind of the forgiveness thing. Oh, yeah. That just kind of, you know, because it's ongoing, it's it's sometimes, particularly if you have children, if you can't just cut it off, then it's ongoing. And I'm even saying adult children. You still have times you interact and, and strange things happen. <clears throat> but. You really get to that forgiveness stage, not so much because you're, you're thinking they're going to be nice or he's worth 
giving that grace to, but more it's you just need to give yourself a future. So when you say forget, forgive, and forget, which is not easy, but then you can move on and create what you've created in your life. You you continue to just go like gangbusters in your career and your successes. Well, so. you know, I went to, you know, it did take time, you know, to take years, you know. Sure. I want to be clear with everybody. Um but what happens with the forgiveness cycle, and that's what I call it as a cycle, because you, you have memories, you have to work on them, you forgive. You forgive yourself for what you did, you forgive yourself for the mistakes you made, you forgive them because, you know, you just have no other choice. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, but then it starts to become too heavy, and this is where I say a really good therapist helps, because when you go to therapy, you talk about these things over and over and over, until you get sick of them. And when you you start getting sick of your old stories and your excuses and your whatever happened in your time with that narcissist, it starts to become boring to you. Like, I've already talked about this. It's been there, done that. It happened, it's over. Like, then you know you're moving on. If you're still feeling hot about these emotions, don't dump them on all your friends. Don't talk, oh. you know, this is where you write it out over and over. Write it every day for mm-hmm. 30 days if you need to. Hire your therapist. Tell them. You know, they're paid to listen to you. Um, eventually, you'll get sick of your own stories. Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah. they are. They're stories. They're stories that you tell yourself after the fact of what happened. And your narcissist is going to say you're a big fat liar and it didn't happen and none of this happened and invalidate everything you've ever thought, felt, or experienced And you just have to go, you know what, this is my reality, this is what I went through, this is what I'm dealing with, and I really don't care what you think anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You really can't, I've found, you really can't talk to anybody about the emotions nor feelings nor happy or bad or sad or anything with friends. You have to talk to a therapist or perhaps a, an acquaintance or maybe a friend that has experienced something like this. If they've not experienced it, they don't understand what you're talking about because the only person they know is a nice, gentle, sweet person or kind and always willing to help. That is what happens to the narcissist. He, she are, is well-respected and as far as the community knows, <clears throat> but they don't see the other side. Yeah, because they have right? a good false front. You yeah. know, it's like, the, it's like the parent that screams at the kids at home and then picks up the phone because the phone rings and is like, oh, hey, Margie, how are you? And, they, you know, you're sitting at the dinner table with the kids going, wow, you know, right. look at that. Right. Yeah, it's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde type of thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So in sharing this information, I think it's it's really worth noting that the experience of of 
living with, dating, working for a narcissist is hard to explain to somebody who has not experienced it. And so as we chatter on, Sandra and I both have experienced it. And so that's why it's easier for us sometimes to pick up on each other because there are similarities in both situations, and yet they're very different. So it's important that when sharing with somebody, if you're a listener out there in a similar situation, that you pick very carefully who you start sharing your woes with so that they can't talk you out of it or become also the one that's saying, you know, you're crazy. Your partner is really great. That's what they normally do because that's the side they see. So that's when you really need to start searching out that professional to support you, to come to your aid, to make sense of what you're experiencing. You really need to be very wise about this and find that person that's going to be able to support you in the way you need to be supported so that you can progress this through this with some dignity, some love, some understanding, and get a puppy. <laughs> right, and a blanket. And a blankie. And yes. watch old Shelley Long films because they make you feel good. That's right. So it, you'll have to listen to the last segment because we did find those things that made us happy because you have to find new things when you're going through a difficult uh, transition that will make you happy in your life. And so those were, that was a a playback from the last uh, (laughs) segment that we did. Now, there's another thing that happens that I was totally surprised about, and that's called post-narcissistic stress disorder. So tell us about that, Sandra. Well, this was the, you know, it's popular now and you can see articles on it on Pinterest. And when I was first working with my therapist, I would say, you know, sometimes I have these bad nightmares. Sometimes I hear things in my head that are so mean that were said to me. You know, sometimes I have a really hard time on Sunday night because I used to, for 15 years, I worked for a big narcissistic boss. And so I'd have this like Sunday night anxiety for Monday morning starting. And she would talk to me and I would do all this work with the military and they had, you know, post-traumatic stress. And I'm like, gee, it's awful the same. And she's like, it's very much the same. And now it has a a name and a list you can check off because Mm -hmm. it's really good, Joyce, to to recognize these things. Not so you can walk around waving a banner that I have, you know, post-traumatic stress from this, but more so that you can look at these things and go, oh, that's why. Like when I clued in that every Sunday night I'd have these kind of like – freak out feelings and hard to go to sleep and toss and turn and wake up crabby on Monday morning. When we finally deconstructed it, it's because I was afraid to go into work and get yelled at or get criticized or get whatever. And um, once I recognized it, I could go, oh, this is just leftovers from that 15 years on the job. Yes. And it's like reliving 
reliving the situation over and over and over prior to actually going back into your work. Well, we are going to be back after this short intermission, and we are going to finish talking more about PNSD, post-narcissistic stress disorder. So be sure and come back because this is what you wouldn't think you would experience, but it's due to the trauma that you have in that relationship. It stays with you. Transformational coach, motivational speaker, and author Joyce Buford returns after this short break. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. Tokinet Radio has partnered with one of the largest travel booking engines in the world to offer savings of 15 to 30% or more on hotel booking fees through our own web portal, www.bestradiotravel.com. Discover the discount you can receive by going to bestradiotravel.com forward slash Joyce, J-O-Y-C-E, to see for yourself. This is a custom booking site for the listeners of my show through TogiNet Radio. We have negotiated special rates at over 650,000 hotels worldwide to save our customers money. Our members leverage our massive buying power to save thousands of dollars by booking with us. BestRadioTravel.com can beat the best prices offered by any other major travel booking website. Please go to BestRadioTravel.com forward slash Joyce, sign up, and enjoy the discounts. This is BestRadioTravel.com forward slash Joyce, J-O-I-C-E. Welcome back to this segment of Second Wind. Joyce Buford, the author of Effortless Happiness, continues in this segment to share insights that will help you live a life of greater purpose and filled with happiness. Now here's our host, author and coach, Joyce Buford. Welcome back. Sandra Beck and I are really discussing narcissists. I'm having trouble with this today. (laughs) Narcissistic (laughs) personality. And... One of the things that happens from a long-term experience with living with a person like this or working with a person like this, with this disorder of super ego, super super me, 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 um, is that 
it produces a condition that we've now named, and it's called post-narcissistic stress disorder, PNSD. It's sort of like post-traumatic stress because we are reintroduced on a regular basis to horrible things that cause us great pain and suffering. Um, sometimes some narcissistic relationships are more violent than others and that could produce more. I don't know, but I do know I've experienced some and Sandra has certainly shared with us in the previous um, segment about her experience with this. So Sandra, if you could kind of talk a little bit more about this and how it, how it played out, how you recognized it, what this crazy thing was that you were experiencing. Well, I wish I could say I I figured it out, but I didn't. Uh, The therapist helped me figure it out. And then the work I was doing with uh, soldiers from Iraq and Afghanistan experiences were parallel. I'm not saying they're the same thing, but one of the things that I learned was, you know, trauma is different for everybody. You can have two soldiers have the same war experience in the same group with the same bombing or the same shooting or the same activity, and they will have different levels of of traumatic response. Some might have none. Some might have a lot. And I think of one of my friends who was working overseas when a missile went over their building and blew up the building next door. And she and her coworker, we're talking about how one of their coworkers was so frightened and she had a lot of after effects. Mm-hmm. And between the two, my two friends that were working over there, they said, you know, one of them had nightmares. One of them just would have weird feelings. The other one cried a lot. Like, you know, the whole thing was three people experienced the same event and three completely different responses. So when you look at an experience that you went through, if you are feeling traumatized, mm-hmm. that's enough. <laughs> you don't have to look at a chart and say, these five things didn't happen to me, so therefore I'm not entitled to trauma. <laughs> because a lot of us do that. We look at this list and go, well, these things didn't happen to me. And I looked at some of these on the list and I thought, well, I didn't experience these. I experienced those. So why am I having a hard time? And my therapist helped me identify that, you know, I was caring for my dying mother and burying her, starting a company. I had just had two premature children, both with health issues, going through a divorce. So, you know, I might have had some other ancillary things going on there. So give myself a break. Do you think? Do you think? Um, but no, I didn't think. I just thought this is normal. This is what happens. And then I thought there's something really wrong with me. And then in my work with veterans, I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm experiencing some of these same things. Like maybe there is something to this. And then I started talking to her about it and she's like, Oh, sure there is. You know, after trauma, whether the trauma is a broken ankle, a car accident, a divorce, a uh, bankruptcy, all these things cause trauma. Everybody reacts differently. And these are some of the reactions, the normal reactions to a traumatizing event. And then I'm like, Oh, Okay, so if they're normal reactions to an abnormal situation, I can own that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, um, I sort of learned a, 
sort of through a, through a therapist, but really it was through a coach. And it was on a webinar, and she was explaining, and it was a Q&A session. And I was talking to her, and I kept saying, you know, I'm just having such a hard time forgiving my narcissist partner. And I said, I, I just, it, I just keep reliving it and reliving it and reliving it and reliving it. I said, why is that? And so <laughs> she said to me, she said, it was just so, I, I can't tell you, it was like somebody turned on the light. She said, Joyce, you have to forgive yourself first. And I went, Oh, for staying so long, for staying in that relationship. And and it was just like, oh, my gosh. I can't tell you how. I just thought she was absolutely a genius. And, I mean, you know, some people would look at that, and they may have thought of that a long time ago. But for me, it was very eye-opening. And and then I started using some other practice and actually going through the PNSD work. And it, it's been just wonderful to experience because once you realize all these things in, and I'm like 20 years out through this and I'm like going, Oh, how could I have carried that so long? So I'm going to have to give myself for that too. But anyway, it is, it's just amazing to me that this would even relive, relive, relive. End of story. Well, because, you know, we're not experts and we, we grow up and we have a certain set of skills and we get married or we join a company and we do our best Mm -hmm. and then weird things start to happen. And that's why, you know, the internet is so great and, um, you know, all these different coaches and therapists and psychologists and authors and our radio shows like this are out talking about it because it helps. It helps you figure out what's going on because you're just like, I have no idea that confusion state. Sometimes I'm still confused when I think back to things that happen. You know, some things make no sense. And if you can make sense of some things, it's a lot easier to forgive and understand because you can't know what you don't know. Right. Well, I find I sometimes forget uh, because I've been through that, as I said, 20 years now, that sometimes I, I look back on that and I go, well, how could I lose my voice? But when you are repeatedly attacked every day for that or afraid, not attacked, but so much in my case, but you constantly corrected or constantly not spoken to or all the other tools that they use, you eventually just wear down to numbness. And that becomes the normal. Well, and everybody or, does. You know, I think, yeah. you know, I have, you know, my friends, my kids bring their friends over and there's a couple little boys who are so hesitant and reticent to say anything, to say, no, I don't want anything to eat. No, you know, they just kind of look at me and say yes. And then they wait. And, oh. um, you know, they're 12 years old and, yeah. You know, finally, I said to my son, who was their friend, he went to sleepover at their house. And I said, uh-huh. hey, you know, what are the mom and dad really like? You know, what are the, and he said, oh, mommy, the, the dad just yells at so-and-so and so-and-so for everything. 
And he goes, uh, hey, me too. Mm. And so what a shock those kids have grown up to go out in public. And whether you're a grown up or a kid, when your intimate family is pounding on you for something, you're probably going to learn to shut up. Yeah. Like it's not that big a stretch. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So when did you actually, I love the idea of the writing. I want everybody to take that because I think that's an important thing. And I'm so glad you had that in your background, Sandra, because I don't, I don't tend to write. I do I write now more than I ever did in school, but, um, it's such a great way to express those feelings that need to come out. I know you had to take it. You had to have a little help from your therapist to get you started. But it's an awfully good way to express yourself. It did. And I had to also be, you know, it's funny when you said, you know, you had the writing background and the, the writing education. That actually, I think, hindered me a little bit because I was so conscious of spelling errors and grammar. And am I getting it right? <laughs> and my therapist is like, no one's going to read it. Just get the feelings out. So then I started spelling awful and, you know, my handwriting was sloppy and half the time I would go back, I couldn't even read what I wrote and that's mm-hmm. okay because I'm not writing it to be read. I'm just writing it to release the emotion. Mm-hmm. I actually worked. Now, did you burn those afterwards? Oh, sure did. Yes. I've actually worked with somebody that they called it, Write and burn, I think. Yeah, something something really heavy. And so uh, we would, I would sit down and write it out and, uh, then go burn it. That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So the anxiety, did you stay, did you work through the PNT, PNSD for a long time or was it like six weeks or how, how did you go through that process? Well, I think the biggest thing was recognizing what it was allowed me to manage myself better. So if I had a flashback, if I had a feeling back, I had more feeling backs than flashbacks. And a feeling back is just like some overwhelming feeling of dread or like Uh. I'd be driving home and I'd start to feel really upset. And I'm like, you know, what is this? And then when I thought, oh, well, you know, it's because I'm coming home from work and it's going to be uncomfortable or awful or whatever, you know, you start talking to yourself about what's going on and you ask yourself, hey, is there really anything to be afraid of right now? And um as I did the work, as I talked to the therapist, as I wrote in, you know, on any piece of paper I could find and then rip it up or burn it or throw it out, um, those things lessened and they definitely lessened over time. But I will tell you preparing for these shows and doing these shows still brings up a lot of really uncomfortable feelings. And I had to sit down and pull a piece of paper out the other day because I was feeling unfocused Mm -hmm. at work. I couldn't focus. I was feeling some emotions and I'm like, I had to write to myself that, Hey, it's over. And these are just leftovers. So they're like, let's put them in the garbage disposal. Let's put them in the trash. Like, <laughs> let's let's start really actively letting these go. And for me, it's helpful to imagine whatever the feeling is, putting it in a ball and tossing it in the garbage. Ah, yeah. Any visuals, great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I want to know how this is 
I know revisiting this always kind of jerks a little trauma in us somewhere. Yeah. Um, but I know re-entering new relationships has not been easy for me. Um, and it could be age for me. You know, I'm a little older, <laughs> a lot older than you are. And so, um, I find that the hardest thing for me is to want to put my guard down to even welcome a new relationship. I, I have lots of excuses why it might not work. So I wondered if you experienced anything like that. Oh, sure. You know, like the first couple of years, I dated people who were very, very benign. They were super nice people and I also never let them get that close to hurt me. So when I went to my first kind of real relationship, um, I was scared a lot and I was, I clammed up a lot and I was afraid to make a mistake and afraid to say anything. And the nice thing was this person that I had the relationship with, um, they knew me, they knew me during the marriage. They knew everything, not everything, but they knew a lot because they had seen it at the soccer fields. They had seen it at the elementary school. They, and they had been married to someone very much like mine. So wow. a lot to talk about. And I was very much less afraid, mm-hmm. but I will say that I have only dipped my toe. I dated a fighter pilot that I didn't know he didn't know me. That was so much more stressful mm-hmm. than the people that I kind of knew because the people I kind of knew were safe. And the current relationship that I in right now is, you know, a friendship, you know, with the possibility of something more is somebody I knew 20 years ago. So I haven't been real good at dipping into unknown qualities and there's still a lot of safety and protection around me. That's like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get that close and Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be that wide open for either financial abuse or criticism or anything. I'm never going to be that wide open again. Do you find in, in any of these relationships that you are more, you have, you have stronger boundaries that you implement. Yeah. I think I'm better. I'm better now at saying no. And one of my, you know, kind of friend relationships on and off for the past five years, he will say to me, Sam, it's okay to say no. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Because you know, when when you trust somebody and they're your friend first, You can Mm -hmm. talk about some things, you know, versus like starting a dating relationship. To me, those are always creepy. You know, you go on a a date and then you get to know each other. And when my, I was in my twenties, that was super fun. Now, not in my twenties, it's a little more, um, agonizing. (laughs) Yes. So it's easier for me to really be friends with somebody first so I can talk freely and openly, get to know them. They can know me. If I knew them in the past, you know, even better, winner, winner, chicken dinner, or if they are friends of friends, um, you know, because when you were married to a nutball, it's going to come up. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So if I were to ask you three emotions that you know are qualities that you're looking for in a new partner, could you tell those to me? Oh, I could. The first one is kindness. 
I was just so tired of having my feelings hurt in the narcissistic relationships. The next one is generosity. You know, I have a big, generous heart. Joyce, you and I have been friends for a while. You know I will give you anything I have if you need it. Um, So I need someone to be uh, generous with me. And then this is a funny one because I would have never put this on my list before. I need them to take care of themselves. Ah, self-sufficient. Yeah, not because I don't want to take care of them. You know, I want to, but I don't want to have to. And what I'm talking about is I want somebody who is, who takes care of their body, who's physically fit, who, you know, likes their job, who has good relationships with their friends and family. You know, they, they have boundaries. I don't want somebody with no boundaries and I don't want them running over mine. And when you, Find people like that because your friendships do change after you leave a relationship with a narcissist because Mm -hmm. your friends who don't have boundaries, you don't want to be around them anymore. So, you know, it's tough, tough to, to do that, but you, you do change and the people around you change. So to have somebody who kind of has it together, I'm going to do my best to keep myself together. You keep yourself together. And I know we're going to slip up every now and then, but I'm not interested in saving anybody anymore. I'm not interested in being the wonderful caretaker anymore. I'm more interested in a partnership and some fun because Mm. it was a long time in my relationships with both of these people. There wasn't a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You brought up a thing there that I have become aware of too that I have a lot of narcissistic friends. Yeah, I really do. Well, I we just collected can't them. attract them, man. Yep. Oh man, <laughs> and it's all around that border thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to say, yeah, it's still very prevalent, and it, it's something that I am going to do some more work on. I think I got to do some more work on that. Yeah. So. Would you like to know mine? Yes. Okay. I want somebody to make me laugh. I love to laugh. You know, I just did this trip um, with my choir group, and uh, we were with uh, 50 people of our closest, dearest friends. Not, but a lot of people that I met that were new and, and several of them were couples. And I just enjoyed being around those guys that were lighthearted, were funny, were, and you know, the wives sometimes were laughing too, but sometimes kind of sitting there, but it was just, it just made it so much fun. I want fun. Yes. So I will, I love the laughing, the joking, the, that thing. But then for me, it's always trust. I have to find somebody I can trust. I cannot take the deception. It just kills me. And I want intimacy. Intimacy, you know, not so much fall in bed all time, but I want to be able to have the hand holding the, I, that type of appreciation. My list is long for qualities, bless their hearts, whoever that is, is going to be just nearly perfect. But um, I think those are some of my qualities that I really want. Yeah. Well, because it's like no more drama. Yeah. Aren't you just so tired of the drama? Right. Yes. 
the drama, the secrets, the all of that. Yes. And and I know that your boys now are ten and nine. Nine? Oh, uh, let's see. Now they're uh well they just had a birthday yesterday, so they're they're twelve well they're gonna be thirteen and sixteen this month, put it that way. <gasps> oh my gosh, they're taller than you are. Oh, I know. One of them's six five, the sixteen year old. He's six five, size sixteen foot at sixteen years old. Feeding him is crazy. Oh my gosh. I I still saw them as really short little guys. Yeah. <laughs> nope, not anymore. Six foot. Woo. Woo. Yeah. yeah. So and what would you wish for them? I would wish for them a relationship. That is peaceful mm-hmm. because the peace was the hardest thing for us to obtain in a household with a narcissist. And when it's not peaceful, you can't sleep. It's hard to be productive. You feel bad, you know, to have a, a, a relationship that's a place of peace and comfort and support. Yeah, that's what I would wish for them. I don't care what she looks like. I don't care what she does. They need to have a place of peace, uh-huh. comfort, and support. Uh-huh. Because why yeah. else be in a relationship? That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how um, how life has changed from our early years into presently. Our qualities are different, our desires, what we want. I, that happens just in aging. But the process that, that we've gone through in our lives has also brought in different uh, values. Changed them a bit, don't you think? Yeah, because when we know better, we do better. And that's what these shows are all about. It's about knowing better and doing better. Yes. So this series that Sandra and I uh, decided, put our two heads together and decided this would be a wonderful tool for you listeners out there, for those people that are experiencing this, we really wanted to do it so that you could get a real view of from the other side so that you would have more knowledge. You would have something to, to use as a tool to help you recognize that this, the condition that you might be going through is not normal. You already know it, but Still, you question yourself when you're there. And so it's a tool that you can use and help you as you progress through this journey in your life. Um, so that's how it was born. Yeah. And, and it can get better. You will get better. You will get through this. If you take some steps forward... Just start making some little different changes today based on the awareness that you had in our show. Maybe go talk to a professional, you know, who is skilled in narcissism. Um, Don't give up. I guess that's the most important thing. Don't give up. Life can get better. Oh, definitely. And if it is your, your journey that you cannot stay with your narcissist, then that's even more important for you to realize that the best best is still ahead of you. And it's very, very doable. 
There are so many avenues out there waiting for not only what you've learned, but as you recover, you're going to experience totally new things. I invite you to go back and reclaim those things that you used to love to do, that you put away because of all the chaos or the responsibilities that your life had. But I do really want you to explore your many options that are out there. It's a long journey that you might be going through if you decide to divorce, but there is certainly benefits and joy and happiness on the other side. So I just um, really, if there's any questions, you can go to Joyce Buford Empowers and leave your questions there for me. I'm happy to help you in any way in helping you move through or get to whatever answer you're listening for. Sandra, do you have any comments as we come to the close of this hour? Yeah, I guess I just don't, I want people to know they're not crazy. You know, a lot of times you feel like there's something wrong with you, you know, that, that you're the problem, you're the narcissist. You know, a lot of times they point the finger at you. And if you're doing the best you can, that's enough. And then each day, just to try to make little changes where you can. Nobody's asking you to, you know, rewrite War and Peace. We're just asking (laughs) you to take little steps every day because little steps are enough. And if you don't take a step one day and you take two the next, that's still okay. Okay. Sandra, we're going to say a big goodbye. And we look (laughs) forward. We hope they enjoy this series. Thank you for being here with us and, and on this project it was a project of love let me tell you it is joyce buford returns next week at the same time for another edition of second wind through the joyce buford empowerment system women are receiving the support they need through their transitions and are able to reclaim their true purpose with confidence they receive the tools they need to map out new lives you can find out more about her coaching services at joycebufordempowers.com Thank you.